Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Three, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic and part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy, and the U.S. Open draw is out in 2022. Rafael Nadal is the number two seed. Novak Djokovic is unable to compete. He pulled out earlier this morning right before the draw came out saying, unfortunately, he's not going to be able to play. He wished all the rest of the players luck. He thanked Nole fam for all of the kind messages. But ultimately, uh, we don't know when the U.S. is going to start letting uh, unvaccinated players into the country, but it just didn't happen in time for the U.S. Open for Novak. Um, Amy, what are your thoughts on this? I would have loved to have seen Novak play. And I I do think that it would have made sense to let him play. But sometimes, as Barack Obama once said about the U.S. government, it's a huge ocean liner. It's not as people want it to be a speedboat. It moves very, very slowly. And it just policy did not change in time for him to play. So now that we know what the draw is going to be, I'm very much looking forward to the tournament. There are plenty of superstars. We've got Rafael Nadal to follow. So I'm super excited about the U.S. Open. Yeah, obviously sympathetic to Novak and his fans um, for him not being able to play. Uh, But absolutely, I think the tournament starts and it feels like the U.S. Open. And this would be the same if any player were missing. Uh, It's so much bigger than than one player and this in in particular was actually bigger than tennis um and it's it's been weird nadal wasn't at the 2020 us open because of covid i just want to point that out uh yeah. it wasn't it wasn't because he was injured it wasn't because of anything tennis related it wasn't there because of covid he didn't want to travel yeah. um so yeah it has been it has been wild one note on the us open in general then we'll get to nadal nadal won it in 2019 mm-hmm. team won it in 2020 Mm-hmm. Medvedev won it last year. There are three guys in the draw who won their last <laughs> U.S. Open match. Cool. Those things happen yeah. sometimes. There have been moments like that in tennis. There are, God, I thought of something about almost 50 years ago about something like that happened at Wimbledon. Go around some political stuff and the three guys who surfaced at this year. That's a pretty exciting thing. And of course, they've all been in very different places since. Very different places since. So uh, it'll be interesting to see good so joel let's talk about nadal what's the temperature here it feels i mean we've seen him play one match since wimbledon with that being said there hasn't been a lot of convincing contenders over the u.s open series there hasn't been anyone who's emerged including medvedev not winning in canada not winning in cincinnati so it does feel like Nadal is a bit of a mystery. At the same time, he's almost like that that warm blanket of we know what we're going to get, and everyone else seems less so like that. That's right. There wasn't someone, there wasn't something such as Medvedev, let's say, winning in Canada and then losing in the semis in Cincinnati. He pretty much had a kind of a, not that he played matches, but he didn't do anything exceptionally, even lost to Tsitsipas 
in Cincinnati, who a guy he doesn't lose to that often. So that's interesting. Then we had Borna Korich and Karina Busta. So it's like, wow, these guys, they're, they're great players. But here's Rafa, only one match, only one match since Wimbledon. I've been going back and forth in my mind. I mean, at first I was like, you know, I'm, it's always the great Rafael Nadal. And he beat Medvedev in Australia earlier this year. And he's had a really great year, you know, especially the early part of the year. But then I watched some practice video of him from, I think it was yesterday. It's available on YouTube on the U.S. Open's tennis um, YouTube channel. And I just, maybe he was holding back. He was hitting a lot of open stance and not really giving it everything. And I worried about the abdominal or maybe it was the foot. Then I saw his draw, you guys. And I'm like, well, I mean, look at these guys in his draw, like Ketsmanovic. I think he's 2-0. and um, Tiafo, I think he's 2-0 and against him. And it's like, it, it, I'm back to where I started, which was he's Rafael Nadal. Right, you see like a second rounder versus a potential uh, Fanini who beat him seven years ago there. And I don't see Fanini necessarily doing that again. So you see these other matchups, these people. I think, uh, all right, X factor could be weather. How, I mean, I remember when Nadal won it in 2019, he had a brutal four-setter with Ketchenoff on a Friday afternoon and he ended up winning the tournament. But I just wonder about how that works. Does do those things, those kind of matches help Nadal get more fit and more in form or do they drain him? And what happens with that and how that whole, how that plays out? Weather? Weather. I think yes. Nadal likes it hot though. I know, of course, he does like it hot, but what, what toll these things take on him? Yeah, sure. he likes it hot, but everybody likes it a little moderate. So he has some easy earlier matches and I mean, okay, yeah, I'd like to feel a little rested before I play Diego Schwartzman in the round of 16. That's a good um, headline title, Some Like It Hot, because I think that's a movie title. <laughs> movie. Movie with Marilyn Monroe, and yes, that is. Okay, okay, there you go. Um, it, but isn't the X factor the surface, the speed of the surface, which is, you pointed out in the last podcast, Gil, has speeded up considerably. That's a huge deal to me. I think there's a reason why he's won the U.S. Open four times and the Australian Open twice, and it's because the U.S. Open for a lot of years was a great hard court for him. It was it was slow and high bouncing, and uh, now it's glassy, it's quick, and it's low bouncing. Um, and I, it's tough because look, Rafa won the Australian Open this year. He did beat Medvedev, yeah. a better version of Medvedev, by the way, than I think what we're getting right now. Um, he was just, right. I think there was more confidence, more bravado. Uh, he's lost a, a little bit. So it's hard to use that as a reason for, for, for pessimism, given what we saw earlier in the year. At the same time, uh, it's just one of the question marks among, I think, a few. I think it's the, the surface, the health uh, with the ab. I, I think the foot's fine. Uh, and the lack of match play. It's kind of a triple-edged sword. But then... But, but you're right, Amy, then you kind of put a check, a positive check in the, the draw because yeah. uh, the, the, the top seed that he got on the opposite half is Cameron Norrie. Who he's beaten four times, right? Yes. I think he's 4-0 against him. Like you're talking into the, that's a quarterfinal. 
that's a quarter yes. five. And then we can work backwards and, and seeds don't hold, but we're saying worst case scenario here, right? Uh, I'll, I'll read off all the seeds. Why don't we? Uh, Holger, Holger Rune is there. Uh, he has been in awful form since Roland Garros. He was amazing at Roland Garros. He hasn't been able to win matches since. You're talking, you about, Dennis seeds, You're talking about seeds in the Dallas quarter. Yeah, just the people he may face. Like we're not we're not draw casting, as I know, kind of you know, annoys you. I don't know if that's the right word, Joel, but we're just kind of like in <laughs> oh, no, a no. vague it, way. Let's look the at these other seeds. I didn't know if you were yeah. going to go all thirty-two seeds. You just met the seeds in the Dallas quarter. Yeah, I won't do all thirty-two. Um, I'll just do in the Dallas <laughs> yeah. quarter. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so you have Rune. You have Shapovalov, who's also just he's. He struggled to win matches. There's no doubt about that. But among everyone, I, I almost feel like red hot Shapovalov, which maybe you give a 5% chance of happening, would maybe be the most interesting and dangerous thing uh, in Nadal's quarter. I go down the list. You have uh, Andre Rublev, who's uh, he's looked like, I would say, a player ranked between 10 and 20 for, for a long time now. He hasn't quite pulled off big wins. He hasn't punched above his weight and uh, he's looked a little bit mentally volatile. Then you have Diego Schwartzman. That's a very ideal top 15 seed to have in your section. Uh, Tiafo and Katsmanovic, Amy, you mentioned, and, and I agree with, with your assessment of those two seeds. So there really isn't anyone there. And then obviously there's no like unseated Nick Kyrgios or anything like that either. Well, when you've had a resume like Nadal's, in theory, the draw looks, yeah, guys I've beaten, guys who haven't done as much as me, guys who need to be redlining, you know, like a dentist, because obviously he needs to be like, you know, have it firing and all. He needs to have the whole A-plus thing going. Uh, Rublev, um, I really like Rublev. I, I have to, I like him a lot. And yet I, you know, I think he's, uh, I think a lot of the world events have affected him this year, being Russian and all of that. And at the same time, trying to sort out how his game continues to evolve because, you know, he's made himself, yeah, he's very much a, an eight through 15 player. And what's, how does he get there yet further? And uh, then you're right. So you look at Nadal, you think, wow, these guys, yeah, he knows how to beat those guys. But in Nadal, which Nadal, it's always such a, such a grind because that's what makes him so fun to watch. It's competition, so much competing. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, and I agree that maybe the events in Ukraine and Russia have had an impact on Rublev. That may also be the case with Medvedev. Uh, Gil, you mentioned that he seems to have a lack of confidence at the moment. It's I wrote about this today. It's hard to put my finger on what it is, but um, things like 
Dasha, his wife, has made the trip to the United States with him, but she hasn't been sitting in his box. Um, you know, sometimes he gets into it with his coach, Jill Savara. Um, it, it's just he's not on a roll right now. He um, lost to Curios. So, and Curios is in his quarter, I believe. So um, Medvedev is, is not the Medvedev that was here last year. But that being said, I mean, he's still the greatest in the world, one of the greatest in the world right now on hard court. Phenomenal. And if I may add to that, he also had an abdominal injury. That's right. And his serve hasn't looked quite right. That was a really, really bad serving performance against Stefano Tsitsipas by, uh, by Medvedev standard. And then the other thing is... Uh, players who have the ability to do it and Joel um you probably love this they've realized oh I should just serve and volley every point against Medvedev if you're going to stand back there that's right see and I think I think Medvedev the novelty aspect of him has kind of worn off it doesn't mean he's not great but it's like remember he he's surprised that's what made him so intriguing in that 2018-2019 period of his of his ascent. Who is this guy? What's he doing? My God, look at these strokes and these things. And then of course, everybody's got a problem solve it. And it's good. It's not like a guy who's in his second year and they've figured him out. I mean, he's got way more skills than that. And he did win the US Open 12 months ago. That seems so long ago, given how this year has gone, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. But but yeah, people are, all right, so what do we do? And, and I think the tactical innovator like Medvedev, who's less technically sound than someone like Novak, Things can get a little, he gets a little, a little fragile with things, the forehand, the serve and that, that edge. It's yeah. Fascinating. It can be fascinating to watch with yourself because he's no longer, no longer a surprise. You're so right about that, Joel. People had no, people had no idea what hit them in 2019. That, that was it. It was like, what is this? Who is this? And what is happening? And slowly players are getting smarter against Daniil. And that's that's kind of what happens. And again, he's still incredibly difficult to beat. You know, you lose to Kyrgios and Tsitsipas. Uh, these are great players. There's no doubt about that. Um, Rafa and, and Court Speed, I want to circle back on this. What does he need to do to play his best and adapt if, if the U.S. Open is going to be a place that's rewarding, offensive, first strike, tennis, great serving? What's the X factor for Nadal on a quick surface, Amy? Well, one thing I think he needs to do is adjust his return position. I don't think that on a fast, low bouncing court, he's going to be able to do what he has done in U.S. Open's past, which is stand way back. But if anybody knows how to do that, he does. Um, I also think that the men are starting to separate themselves from the boys and the women and the girls in terms of who can volley and who can't. So I think we're going through a phase right now in pro tennis where players are either choosing that route, like I'm going to be a volleyer, I'm going to come in, or they're only going to come in when they have that extreme short ball and they may not even volley. They may swing volley or they may, you know, try drop shot or, or do something else. And uh, watching that Medvedev match against Tsitsipas, watching Tsitsipas try to peg Medvedev, you know, the handful of times that he came into the net, I realized how uncomfortable Medvedev was, was at the net. And Rafa is one of these people that uh, certainly knows how to come forward. And I think he's probably going to do that. 
and let's recall how in the Australian Open final, how Rafa exposed Medvedev's discomfort in transition. You know, Rafa was able to hit some more balls that didn't have to be of extreme depth, didn't have to be of extreme depth and pace. Could kind of, how, many, how many transition balls did Medvedev pass up coming to net on? So now to get back to what yeah. Rafa needs to do, your question, Gil, I think he needs to come to net more. I think to both, both to, keep, to keep matches shorter, to conserve energy over the long haul, to press opponents more, to not have them hurt him. I, I'm not so sure I need to think out the return stance position. I need to think about what that is. I'm not quite sure what standing in closer attains for Rafa. He's not Jimmy Connors on the, on the short swing and the take it early return. But if you think, Amy, him standing back leaves him more exposed to a potential attacker, that's something to see. But I think for Nadal on these fast courts, he needs to be, bring some of that opportunism he's brought at various stages in his career. You know, I've, I've hurt you. Here I come. Yeah, well, he's certainly gotten way better at doing that in this latest chapter of his career, you know, post, uh, post-2017, really the Carlos Moya era where he's been more proactive with his forehand, uh, willing to make some errors at, you know, at, at the expense of trying to take his opportunities and, and definitely coming forward. Uh, but for me, it's the serve because I don't have a lot of doubt that Nadal's the best returner in this draw. I don't think there, if, if I have, uh, I need someone to break serve, pick someone in the draw and you need, you need, you need to break a serve here. I'm picking Nadal every day of the week, and there's so little hesitation, it's not even funny, in this draw right now. Well, wait, you said two things here. You said, I need someone to break serve. That's different than being a service return. I mean, that's the guy yeah. who can break serve. No, no. That's what you mean, it's the quality of his return. Yeah, I'm not talking about the return. I'm saying break serve, win yes. serve, win return points. Sure. Nadal, all day. My win question point. is, is he going to get into a match um, against a player who is getting a ton of purchase on their serve on speedy courts and he's not getting the same. And now he's at a big disadvantage because he's not, his serve isn't holding up his end of the bargain uh, from what we saw. And you know, the Chorich match was interesting because the serve didn't look quite right, but at the same time he kept holding until the third set, he kept holding. So I, I didn't really know what to make of it. But I feel like for Nadal, uh, the question that I have mostly is, is the abdominal allowing him to serve to the best of his abilities? And that's my X factor for him if the courts are going to play quick, as we fully expect. And by the way, I've heard that they are. Well, also, you're talking about a guy who holds serve really well, puts pressure on your own serve. So, for example, so now I'm looking at Nadal's half, you know, as for example, I'm not, I was looking to see if there are big servers on his half. You know, for example, if Taylor Fritz were on his half, that puts pressure. It's an interesting way in tennis, a guy holding all the time can put pressure on your own serve because he's holding easily. So I don't, so I don't see. Chilich, center, but they're in the other quarter. They're possible, These guys are in the other quarter. Semis, and I don't think of them. Her Koch. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting how somewhat reasonably explosive, but yeah, I think. That's fringe. It's interesting how we how we all see this. The Nadal serve. So so you're worried, Gil, that he's gonna um not be able to hold serve as easily, or and therefore labor through games. Let me put it this way: I think he can win Roland Garros without his best serve. 
I don't think he can win this U.S. Open without his best serve. I can't, I'll see. It's interesting that we really dissected. We got the serve. We got the return. Yeah. We got the net. Yeah. I actually think he can um, with a favorable draw and okay. some luck, which everybody needs. Uh, yeah. I, I still, but I, I get your point, Gil. Totally. And remember in that last match against Chorich, he double faulted on set point in the tiebreaker. Yeah. So, so maybe- yeah. So maybe that's it. It's not just the serve is going to do for him. Let's say what it does for Federer, but he needs to, he certainly needs to not double fault on set points. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> right. So there's something about that, about what, what we, what we mean by effective serving it was amazing. That first time Nadal won the open in 2010, remember how well he was serving that open. That was a, yeah. he was serving really well then and yeah. hasn't served as well since, but he's only won it three other times since. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Zooming into to his first round, uh, he's playing the reciprocal wild card from Australia, uh, Rinky Hijikata. Uh, I I would I so I haven't counted how many players in the draw that I I haven't heard of. It's not it's definitely not a lot, but um, Rinky is one of them. Yeah, I don't know this player. I'm sorry. Well, he, uh, he, so, he he earns his reciprocal. And now he's going to get some <laughs> privileges. At least he's going to get to play on a good court. He's going to get to play on a big court. Yeah. Let's get some info on him here, if you give me a moment. I think the second round, Joel, you mentioned Fanini. Uh, Fanini struggled. You know, his ranking has gone down quite a bit. Um, Karatsev, you you know, you'd have to say the same. But if we're if we're looking at firepower, like players who can hurt you if they catch fire, uh, I would say Karatsev, with the way he takes the ball early and how good his backhand is, you don't want to play him on a great day. Uh, it's mm-hmm. just he hasn't had a lot of those great days. What do you make of of a potential Karatsev or, or Fanini second round? Fanini, so, I think, is a little bit like a, a little bit the yesterday news. It reminds me of the time when uh, Marit Sapin in 2005 beats Federer at Australian Open, and three years later they play again. And I th- and someone said, oh, well, let's see what can happen. A friend of mine said, let's see what can happen. I said, no, 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 Roger. He's, he, he, he got stung once. He's not going to get stung again by Marit Sa- And Safin and Fanini remind me of each other as kind of these talents, these mercurial guys. I don't see Fanini. Now, Koretsov, it's interesting. He had that breakthrough 2021 Australian. But I don't know about you guys, and maybe it's just how I feel today. What is it about some of these results that seemed only in this, a year and a bit ago, seemed a long time ago, has the pandemic given us this, this sense, this less of a sense of threat, or is threats of you? Know, he's not. He didn't follow it up with an Indian Wells quarter or a Cincinnati semi. You know, he just kind of like, right? He was good, I mean, actually. He was good. He had a good run in Dubai, I want to say. And uh, apologies if it were Doha, because <laughs> I, I could be mixing those up. Uh, and then he went to Belgrade, and he made the final there. Uh, that is the cutoff, Joel. Like, I don't think there's been a great... Oh, you know what? I'm forgetting one. Beginning of this year, he made the final at one of the Australian Open lead-ups. It's been few and far between. That's what I mean. So this is... I, I just think... I don't know. Maybe I'm just sensitive to it. I just think aspects of the pandemic have hindered the narrative flow of life for all. And the, and, and tennis, tennis exceptionally. I mean, I was talking to a former pro recently. Travel used to be boring. Travel used to be mm-hmm. a boring thing for pro tennis players. 
and half asleep when you go from one plane to another. And now when you think about it, you know, protocols and different mass things in different countries. And I know it's easing in a lot of the ways, maybe, maybe not, but it's just, I don't know. I just think there's a lot of stress. I just think that there are any number of players that bust out and they're so exciting. And like last year, Jensen Brooksby, you know, this kind of like parks and rec street fighter type guy with cocky and, and didn't even have a serve and yet was beating these people. And what Brooksby has done since is just not much. Or, you know, in the beginning of the year, right around uh, Roland Garros, into Roland Garros, where everyone's excited about Holger Runa. And, you know, now, as you pointed out, Gil, he's just hasn't played that well so far. I mean, Ketsmanovic at the beginning of the year, he, he couldn't lose. And, and had a really good run through Indian Wells. And then by the time Roland Garros rolls around, you know, I'm, I'm not even looking at him in tournaments anymore. So um, it, it, I think it's just shows like what our big three have accomplished this longevity uh, throughout their careers where they've been contenders every time they enter a tournament. A couple of other things. Um... The U.S. Open last year, Novak was in the same role that Rafa is in now. On the men's side, and, and granted, the only thing is uh, you have Serena in the equation here, especially as long as she's in the tournament, she's going to be sucking up a lot of the attention and a lot of the oxygen, and rightly so. Um, but on the men's side, at least, Novak was the only guy, and he was going for the Grand Slam. There was a lot of pressure, I felt, and I think by the end, we could all agree it was difficult for him to, to handle um, and, and it drained him. How do we feel about Rafa now being the center of attention all alone, no one else to really steal any of the shine here, uh, the, the class of, of the field in, in certain ways, certainly reputationally and from a resume standpoint, could that have a negative effect on Nadal, Joel? I don't think I say I don't think it's anything at all comparable to where Novak was a year ago. I don't just because the Dallas won two slams this year, and, and I don't think I, I don't think it's at all anything like that. I think Novak was in a you know major pursuit of history, won the first three, and and the Rod Laver and the this and the that. And I think um, I think it's a very different uh, deal. I think it's a whole. I don't think Rafa's carrying any significant spot. I mean, the spotlight of being the Dow and the great players, but I don't think there's any extra uh, New York U.S. Open thing to it. I think it's just fine. Fully agree. Um, Amy, mm -hmm. we've kind of discredited Nadal's draw. And, and, you know, when it comes to that, we're, we're looking at it comparatively. You know, this is, a, this is a major. There are four quarters. We pick from a hat. There are going to be some stronger ones and some weaker ones, and that's how it works. Uh, how do um, – what is the best way to kind of grapple – with uh, historically looking at players having difficult draws, easy draws, like fans, fans have a way of being bothered by, by draws um, and, and going certain ways. What's your perspective on that? I think if I can speak bluntly that this is a really tough day for Novak fans because not only is their favorite player out of the tournament, but Nadal got a pretty favorable draw 
And, you know, I, I'm seeing a lot of my friends who are Novak fans saying, well, I'm just going to turn it off. I'm not going to watch tennis. I'm not going to watch the U.S. Open, which just kills me. Um, but as Joel always likes to say, once the tournament is underway, we're not focused on this as much on, on what happened on this day that the draw came out. We're really getting into the meat and potatoes of the tournament. And if you ask Rafael Nadal, he's going to tell you that this is the hardest draw that he's ever had to face. <laughs> so um, it, it really is just sort of draw casting, as Joel likes to say. Joel, do draws even out over time? They're not supposed to do anything. They're not supposed to even out. They're not supposed to odd out. They're just draws. They're tennis yeah. players. You just play the people. You just pay the people in front of you. It's like someone was whining to me about a seating of a tournament. You know, Rod Laver, Pete Sampras, they didn't care what they're seated. You play. And I don't think Nadal cared. They, and who you play, you go beat people. Personally, I believe that it does even out and that Novak and Rafa and Roger have had as many Favorable draws as unfavorable draws. I mean, when, when the sample size is as large as when we're getting, you know, when we're playing a hundred draws, it's going to even out. And uh, that's how it is. The draw is favorable when you win a lot. <laughs> the winning no, I mean, I know, but look, let, let's be on. And we'll end on this. I mean, look, Medvedev has Kyrgios. Medvedev has PCB. Medvedev has FAA who serves huge. Um, Good. None of them have won at slam and none of them are number one in the world. I know. Do, Daniel. Let me ask you guys this. Nadal won the Australian open this year. Do you guys remember what kind of draw he had or how we saw that draw at the beginning of the tournament? We thought it was tough, I think. And then it, it opened up. Okay. Cause I didn't remember. Well, that's right. That's right. That that's the way it gets at it. I mean, of course, and then the final was very, very tough and he fought through it. Yeah, no, it's it's really hard to remember. That's a great point, uh, and and it will fade, and we will all enjoy uh, watching watching Nadal and uh, the U.S. Open uh, in general, and we will be there. So uh, lots of exciting times ahead. We hope to bring that flavor to our coverage on three. That'll do it for this episode. Remember, we're available on all podcast platforms. We appreciate it if you leave a rating and review on Apple, and we will see you next time on the next episode of Three.